The following is a message of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit fbcr.org. Well, good morning. My name is Ryan Musser, and I am just a church member here. But it is my pleasure to be with you in this room, and you in Worship East who are joining us on live stream, and even you on YouTube who didn't make it this morning but are worshiping with us. We are so thankful to have each and every one of you. My wife, Rachel Musser, is sitting over here. She's one of the new deacons in the church, and we have been here for about five years, and we love this church. And we are so thankful that for the next six weeks, we get to serve in kind of unusual ways for just church members, and that I get to preach on Sunday mornings. We are so excited about being here with you for that. Uh, I have a few, actually, of my old students that have joined us this morning, just showed up and said we wanted to go to church, and you're here this morning, so we're going to do this. And so we have people from all over the place this morning that we just want to say thank you for being here. I got to be a youth minister and a pastor for about 15 years at churches across Texas. And about 11 years ago, Ellis was going to be out on a Sunday, and I had the opportunity to preach in this very church. And I was so impressed by just the warmth and generosity of this congregation that when we moved up here, Rachel and I said, we want to be there with those people. And we got involved here. And we love being here with you. So thank you so much for being church with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 24. We're going to begin in verse 13. And while you're turning there, I want to confess something to you. Um, when I got to preach 11 years ago, I always do the same thing when I find out I'm going to preach somewhere. I kind of look and see what other churches are praying about that week and what they're going to be talking about. There's this thing called the lectionary where millions of Christians across the world each and every week from Methodist and Lutheran and others, they have four passages that they read together each week and then there's a sermon on one of them. And I always like to look and see what other passages they're doing. What are millions of Christians across the world going to be studying that I might want to read about? And 11 years ago when I did that, it was Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. So this time when I had an opportunity to preach, I thought, well, I'll start there again and just see what the passage is. And wouldn't you know, it's Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. And I looked at God and went, I see what you're doing there. Okay, I need to hear this one again. So if you have Bible notes from 11 years ago just sitting there with you, I guess you can see what changed over the past 11 years. But nonetheless, that's where we're going to be this morning. And beginning in verse 13, the passage goes like this. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And then while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near And went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other as you walk along the road? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, They came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who went with us went to the tomb, just found it just the way the women said, but they did not see him. 
And he said to them, oh, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the things the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is nearly over. So he went in to stay with them, and while he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, and while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of bread. This occurs late on the very first Easter that ever happened. It's late in the day. We have two disciples and these aren't VIPs. We don't even get their name at the beginning. There's a reason for that. The point is, it doesn't really matter what their names are. It could be any one of us. This isn't one of the 11, the 12. This is just some people who had been following Jesus. We always hear that there were crowds around him and other disciples, and here are two of them. They've been there in Jerusalem. They came for the Passover festivities, and they came because their rabbi was there too. And while there, they saw him be accused, condemned, crucified, and buried. And it has been a long week. They've been talking about this thing that has happened, and they're having a conversation. They've got a a seven-mile journey ahead of them. I'm from a small town in central Texas, Crawford, Texas. And if you were to go seven miles one way, you'd hit McGregor, Texas. And about seven miles the other way, Valley Mills, Gatesville, Waco. Seven miles in central Texas just seems to be about the distance from one town to another. It's a good day's walk. You can make it in half day if you had to make it back and forth. And they just have that walk just out into the suburbs to a, to a little town out near Jerusalem. They're just walking back and they're having this conversation You've had these kind of conversations with your friends, haven't you? Where one of you starts about something going on in your world. Maybe it's something with work or it's a bad breakup or something at school that's just going wrong. And, and you start talking about it and they build upon it. And it's back and forth. And you get so enthralled in this conversation that maybe you don't pay attention to what's going on around you. Seems like miles pass and where did they go? So it's not so surprising that they look up and there's a man just standing there. What is kind of surprising, it's that it's Jesus and they don't recognize him. Now we are reading this story. So we get the benefit of the author telling us, hey, this is Jesus himself there with them. But it says that they were kept from recognizing him. Now, when it says that in the Greek, it's very clear who's doing it. God is not allowing their eyes to recognize him, which is an odd thing for God to do. You would suppose if you wanted to go one way or the other, you would want people to see the risen Jesus. And yet, that's not what happens. God keeps them from recognizing him. It's odd to me 
also how strange that they don't recognize the risen Christ. See, Jesus has a habit of appearing and disappearing after Easter. Did anyone ever notice that after the resurrection, Jesus is a lot like a Where's Waldo game? It's a lot like that. Jesus likes to appear and disappear. Not not so much the hat and striped shirt, kind of got holes in his hands inside, but Jesus nonetheless is doing this appearing and disappearing thing, getting his disciples to understand that even when they can't see him, he's still there. Locked room, not a problem for Jesus. Oh, you, you think that he's not with you? Look, he's right there on the shore while you were fishing in the boat. No, that is weird enough, the appearing and disappearing, but here they're not able to recognize him. And you know, it wasn't that long ago that he was on that cross and it seemed like everyone recognized who he was. He's on the cross and a Roman soldier in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, says, surely this was the son of God. This wasn't a follower of Jesus. Said that was the guy who was sent there to make sure that he gets killed. There's a thief on the cross who ended up on a cross for doing thievy things. He's hanging there, not a follower of Jesus. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In the utterly and broken, disfigured state of human suffering, something royal and divine has shined through on that cross, so much so that those who didn't follow and didn't listen to all the teachings and weren't people who would have bought into it see God on that cross, see the king there with them. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but he also did something else. It says that he decided to create humans. Male and female, he created them. In his image, he created them. God, when he created the world, installed his image on this planet in human beings. You don't have to read much further in the book before you find out that because of our brokenness and sin that we entered into, that image gets tainted in the world. So God himself says a couple of things. Number one, When he gives the Ten Commandments, you shall make no image of me. Why? He already did so. And that image may be tainted and broken, but it is only allowed in one place in its whole creation. And it is in you and it is in me. And so God himself becomes human and cleanses the image for us all. He shows it what it is like to be a real human being. One who walks with God in the cool of the day. One who knows who he is. Nothing separated. Who treats humanity with a different level of compassion. This God on the cross shines out and shows everyone who he is. And yet, when he gets up, people don't recognize him. I think that's odd. Back to the story in verse 28 on the road, it says, As they came near a village they were going to, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. Jesus acts like he has some place to go. To make a story even odder, he acts like he has, this is a hitch and go. Like he's giving a fake about his direction. And I'm sorry, I know there are a lot of people who would like this to not say what it says. But you can actually translate that Greek word, Jesus pretends he has some place to go. Why? But he does. 
while he was teaching, over and over, he kind of made a big point about how we treat one another. When I say one another, I don't mean brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't mean people we like. He, he made a big point about how we treat all humans. He actually gave some commands about it. He gave some stories about it. In Matthew chapter 25, he tells a story of the sheep and the goats. And, and you have to get this. All the sheep and all the goats have this in common. All of them say Jesus is Lord. All of them have done things in his name where they've said, Jesus is great, wonderful, you should follow him. All of them. And yet he says at the end when it's done and it comes time to decide who's in the kingdom with me, the sheep are the ones that are in and the goats are out. And what's the difference? The sheep are those who fed the hungry, who clothed the naked, who took care of the sick, who visited those in prison. When you did that, it was me. There's a point in time where Jesus is trying to get away from the crowds during his ministry, and he's just tired. Humans get tired. Jesus was human. He's tired. He's trying to get some time with his disciples, some time with God. So he goes out into the wilderness, and he he tries to get away from it all. And um, about 5,000 men and a whole bunch of other people follow along and don't pack a lunch. Which was weird, because you'd think if you're going out in the wilderness, you might want to like, you know, think of food, but they didn't do that. They just kind of followed out because they wanted to hear the guy, and they get out there, and they're like, there's not a spread, no meal. I thought this was a potluck, and I was just going to show up. That was going to be great. We're Baptists. We understand potlucks. Nonetheless, they get out there, and Jesus, who was trying to get away, goes ahead and and teaches them and and does all those things, tired. And then the disciples go, "Um, send him away. Because they didn't bring a lunch. Nobody thought of getting a Lunchable here. Nonetheless, Jesus looks at them and says, no, you feed them. And then Jesus gives them the power for it to happen. And he takes the little bit they have and makes it enough. And they feed the hungry people who followed him out when he was just trying to get away. Of course, then there's a time when a lawyer, somebody who thinks they're smart, has showed up and tried to trick Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? And I love Jesus' response here. The disciples would have never forgotten it. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is on par with it, equal to it, can't be separated from it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, that great commandment has two sides, just like a quarter. You don't saw that sucker in half and get a heads or tails. It's got to be both. You have to love God and love neighbor. And do me a favor, don't ask who your neighbor is because you're not going to like Jesus' answer. The point was he over and over talked about how you had to care about the people. That was just part of the deal. And so these disciples are on the road, and they've had a really rough time, and it's been an awful weekend, and they probably don't have very much, and they're tired, and they're weary, and this guy just gave them some theology theological lecture, and here they are, but it's getting dark. And they just walked seven miles together. He probably hasn't eaten in a while. Who knows if he packed a Lunchable. And they come to the point, and they go, you know what? Come in with us. In the Greek, it actually says, he basically, they dragooned him in. They were like not taking no for an answer. You're coming in with us. We have food. We have a place to stay. It's getting dark. It can be dangerous out here. Come on in. 
And it is in the following his commands that they see the risen Christ. Notice that they didn't have everything figured out. They're talking to Jesus about Jesus on the road. And they say, well, he was a prophet. We're pretty confident about that. And he did, you know, mighty works and spoke well. We kind of hoped he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. They're not given a Trinitarian idea of who Jesus is. They don't go, well, this was God himself who came down in flesh and, and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. They're not giving great Sunday school answers. You can give better answers today. But what they're doing is they're following despite the fact that they don't understand everything, despite the fact that they got questions, despite the fact that they're disheartened and hurting here, they are continuing to put in one step after another. The word faith, the word you think is believe in scripture that when your Bible says you have to believe in Jesus, that is a mistranslation because the English language does not have a good word for that. The word pisteos in Greek means to faith. We don't have a verb to faith. So we translate it believe, but I believe in things that I just cognitively assent to. George Washington was the first president of the United States. We don't have to do anything with that information. What it says in scripture is that we faith, which is to live out our belief, to put feet to what we say we believe. We call someone faithful, not because they're full of belief, but because they do what they say they're going to do, and they're full of the character of being who they say they are. And these two disciples are being who they say they are. We are followers of Jesus, and we don't understand what's happened, but he said we had to care about people. We're going to take care of this guy on the road right now. And in the breaking of bread, right there, as they feed each other, as Christ says, thank you for this bread, suddenly they recognize that which previously was unrecognizable. Jesus, alive and well and with them. It is in the following when it's difficult, the continuing when it's dismay all around us that we see the risen Christ. It is in the following that we recognize that which is unrecognizable to the world at large, Jesus, real, alive, with power for our lives here today, not merely 2,000 years ago, but today in Richardson, Texas, where we are. When I was a kid, uh, growing up and uh, finally got into high school, a young man, and I had a math teacher named Miss Walker. And I love Miss Walker because she could make math actually interesting and explain to me what was going on. And she was really good at it. But she had these things on her wall called magic eye posters. Have any of you ever seen these? Yeah? Okay. I'm sorry. So these things are uh, crazy because it looks like a computer sneezed on a poster. Um, static on a TV screen. They're just crazy. And when you look at them, uh, they, they're supposed to make a 3D image. Uh, my math teacher said, well, there's a lot of math behind this. And if you just understood the math, then what would happen, it, it, it makes an image in your brain. And this suddenly becomes a 3D image. And there, there's all scientific reasons why you could explain to you that that happens. I was like, that's cute. I don't see anything. So, well, if you stand up there and you just, like, let your eyes not go focused, you know, just kind of, you know, and then maybe try to look through the picture, what does that mean? I mean, just, you know, then you'll see this thing. And my buddy, Jay Tracy, who uh, grew up with me, walked straight up, looked at it and went, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the Statue of Liberty. 
No one liked Jay very much. Um, Nonetheless, uh, I had other friends who went up and said, oh, yeah, I see that too. I walked up and I saw nothing. I saw what looked to be something where somebody had just scattered what should have been a picture on the ground and then taken a picture and there it is. It was a mess. And, and they said, well, you've got to keep trying. So the next day I did and the next day I did. Ninth grade went by. <clears throat> It's a small school, so thankfully, I'm in that room again the next year. Tenth grade went by, and at this point in time, I'm pretty confident that they're just messing with me. Like, there's a conspiracy going on, right? Like they got together and said, look, let's put this thing on the wall. Tell Ryan there's something there. He's going to go up every day and stare at this, and we get a good laugh before math class. Who doesn't think that's a great idea? But 11th grade came, and so I decided I'm going to continue to do this. And I went up, and I was about halfway before, through 11th grade when one day I got up there and not really expecting to see anything, kind of stared at it. And I don't know what was different about that day. But in a moment, there it was, the Statue of Liberty looking at me. I look over here, and there's a giant apple on this one. Over there is the New York City skyline, and over here, a shark. I don't know how the shark fits in. Nonetheless, this is what was in the pictures, and I could see all of them, every single one of them. Now, hear me on this. They had told me a million times it was there. They swore that it was true, but until I saw it, I didn't know. And you can give me all the rational arguments and all the background evidence for it. But until I went up there and saw it, I didn't know. But I didn't see it on the first time or the second time. It meant I had to keep coming back and keep trying when I didn't understand and didn't know if it was really there. And only then one day did it happen. And having seen it, I can never not see it. I know that it's there. But if you haven't seen it, you might look at me and go, you're crazy. That doesn't exist. It doesn't matter because before I saw it, whether or not I saw it didn't change whether or not it was really there. For those who were at the tomb, for those who were at the cross, for those who were in the garden, for those who were there and they had been followers of Jesus, but it just got too hard and they said, no, no more, I'm not gonna continue going with this and they walked off, they never saw the risen Christ. For those who gave up and just said, this is too much work, too hard, it can't mean this, it's too, no. They never found Jesus there with them. It is in the following when we don't get it all, when we haven't got it all figured out, when life is tough, it is in those moments that we find the risen Christ alive and well. There was a moment in time, my friends had invited me to church and I decided, well, you know, I was bullied in school and stuff and so I actually had people being nice to me at the church so I was like, if I have to go, because mom wants me to go, we didn't grow up going to church, if I have to go, I'm gonna go to that place because they were nice to me and so I'm sitting there and, you know, week in, week out, they talk to me about how there's this God and Jesus was dead and then alive and, you know, I listened to it but I decided I was gonna go ahead and and give it a shot and and listen to what they had to say and really take it seriously. I'm a doubter naturally, I, I question everything. You're not gonna give me something and go, sure, I just believe that. I sat there and I wrestled with it. My friends, you know, they would be talking and stuff. And I, I finally got to where I would just, I would sit quietly. and just listening to everything, writing down everything. The sermon, I'd go up afterward and challenge the pastor on what he said. And then one day, I don't know it was different, but all of a sudden, not only did that click, but I met God and everything changed. And having had that moment, I can't go back again. There's no way to go back from having seen that. I don't know who you are. I don't know all of you. I'm not your pastor. I'm not on staff. If you're here today and you have never 
met Jesus Christ. Here's what I can tell you. I can give you rational arguments and everything else, but in the end of the day, it is in the following that you meet him. And once you meet him, it changes everything. And today, if you don't know him, I invite you to come down here. I'm going to be standing down here in a moment. You come on and we'll talk about it. And if you just want to debate, that's fine. We can do that too. If you just want to have a moment where you go, look, I have questions and doubts and I just want to have someone in my life who I don't agree with and we talk about it, I'll be that person. Plenty of people on staff, I'm sure, do it. Probably people in the room. You come down and do that. Here's what I'm going to tell you. It's in the following. It's not day one. You don't get it all figured out. You don't get right and come to Jesus. You don't do that. You come as you are. You come with all your questions, all your doubts, one foot in front of the other asking him, you want to find out if it's real? Let's find out if it's real. For some of you in the room, you a long time ago met Jesus. You had that moment where you recognized something that had previously been unrecognizable. It hit you in the face and after Easter, you were changed. And you have to ask yourself right now, what difference has it made? It may have made a great difference in you personally, maybe emotionally. How do we look as a church? There are people probably in this room who are going, if it's real, show me him. Jesus says we are his body. In this place, First Baptist Richardson, whether or not you have a pastor or anyone on staff, we are still called to be his presence exactly wherever we are. There are plenty of opportunities for each and every one of us to serve here. There's going to be a missions week next week where we have people outside just giving us tons of ways where we can get plugged in. But each and every one of you are positioned somewhere in your life to be Jesus to those around you. You are the image of God restored. You are saved so you don't have to worry about you anymore. Your job's to worry about them. So this week, may I remind you that you were changed with a purpose, that you met the living Christ, and that he has given you power to be somebody to somebody else, Jesus to them. In this place today, wherever you are, may you find the risen Christ alive and well, and may you have the boldness to follow despite your questions, doubts, and fears. May we serve together and find him alive and well in our community. Let's pray. Great God, we thank you that you are alive and well in this place and we thank you for a reminder that it doesn't matter what road we're walking, God, you are with us. And we can bring all of our doubts and questions. We don't have to have all the theology worked out. God, there are people in here today who just want to know if it's real. May they come and find you, putting one foot in front of the other, bringing everything they have and may you appear in their lives and show them who you are. God, for us and for our church, We pray that today you would bind us together and seal our hearts for you. God, that you would empower us to be the people who follow hard after you and look so much like you that people come to know you. God, we ask all of this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.